Hello. Welcome. Welcome. Hi. <laughs> How it's are you? Nice finally actually meet you sort of because I think we've been sort of aware of each other for a few years now but yeah we've never spoken <laughs> no I think there is some overlap points but we can get into that I think okay. potentially I will welcome to Yelling at Concrete Podcast. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming. Um, as I say to most guests, I'm terrible at introducing people. So who are you? <laughs> Please introduce yourself. Oh, God. <laughs> um, sorry. Um, my cat's just trying to climb on me. <laughs> Won't be the first time that's happened on this podcast. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I write under the name jl corbett that's what people know me as on the internet um i guess i'm a writer kind of editor i run my own magazine called idle link that just takes up my whole life at the moment so yeah that's who i am (laughs) not a bad way to be i yeah i kind of because i do the usual um googling of a person before I interview them and obviously as, you, as mentioned we kind of we have like a long-standing like knowing of each other so I think so like I know your work and then I was just like oh it was, it's JL Cobbett and then I realized halfway through I was like I have no idea what JL stands for yeah <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you once we stop recording but <laughs> I like to keep it kind of separate online um your mystery yeah my real life and my internet life that's, I mean, that's fair enough to do. It, it reminded me of um, kind of like Prince or Cher. <laughs> I, like, I feel like not enough writers now have a pen name. Yeah, it's Prince, Cher and me. Yeah. Like we're completely on the same level. <laughs> Just across the board. This, yeah. Whenever they're doing like... Rock and Roll Hall of Fames. It's just like absolutely. I'm just tuning in every year to find out when JL Carbett's going to be <laughs> announced. Um, but yeah, so I mean, as we mentioned, we kind of yeah. You know, I, I was trying to think how I know you. I don't know. Right. Like I was, I was thinking about this last night. I was trying to think back in my head, and I know that years ago I was doing zine reviews for. Yeah. Um, a website called Syndicated Zine Reviews. And I remember asking you um, as part of my sort of interview for that job, do you mind if I review one of your null point zines? Yeah. But that sort of implies that I knew you before then <laughs> because I I need to ask you, but I don't know how. Yeah. I vivid because that was of... like null point had only been going for a very short time at that point it was like issue number two or three or something like that yeah it was like I think it was the tech issue and it was yes that's like yes that's like literally issue number like three Mm. so this was like 2017 that we were doing this well that's when I kind of started with like writing like taking writing seriously so that that kind of makes sense but I feel did you did you do a zine fair at Lincoln Lincoln yeah um because I feel like I I think I might have done one I did a few at sort of across the north there was one that was really really unsuccessful where like I sold nothing 
That might have been Lincoln. Lincoln is is not known for its masses of people (laughs) and their their interest in zines. Um, I mean, that's a lot. I know lots of people who are interested in zines, but it's such a small group that when you bring it to the wider Lincoln audience, the wider Lincoln audience is just like, I still don't know what a zine is. Yeah, they're like, is it a book? Is it a comic? Yeah, It's, it's the risk of weird conservative counties um <laughs> just throw them under the bus but i feel yeah i feel like we were both maybe at that zine fair because i think that was the first zine fair i ever did oh right okay because null point was the first scene i ever did like I'd, I'd never done anything that style yeah. before apart from when i was a like, much much younger yeah um, and making like paper comics and stuff like that but at the same point i feel like i knew you before then we we must have met. Well, we we did meet before then, but I don't, I don't know how. <laughs> because we're not really, like, I'm in Hull, you're in yeah. Lincoln, it's not that far away, but we've definitely never met in person. No. I feel <laughs> I feel like, the, in my, the way my memory works with it is, I feel like we were both going to be at the zine fair, and I was intending to talk to you, <laughs> because I knew who you were, and I was like, oh, this is like me starting to do zines. This person knows zines. I'd, yeah. I'd, I'd known a vital link in a zine format, like mm. at that event to be able to go, okay, yeah, I can talk to you. And I just never did because of anxieties, <laughs> which is like, yeah, I'm just going to sit here at my table for the entire thing. Um, I mean, you you could have like, that zine fair went so badly for me. I Like I say, I sold nothing. Like, yeah. <laughs> I think at that point I'd done a few, like I'd done weeds and I think I did one near Manchester and then one here as well and they went okay like as well as a zine fair can ever go so I was feeling confident and I said to my husband's then boyfriend oh come with me you can sell your artwork it's really fun meet loads of people and we went and it was just Just quiet yeah just hours of like no nobody (laughs) It's, it's, it is such a I mean, yeah, I think that's a good question, though. I mean, how long have you been into kind of writing and publishing then? Um, so, I mean, I've, I've always been into writing, um, always. But when I was younger, it was just stuff like <laughs> like um, fan fiction when I was a teenager and stuff like that, oh, you know, the cringy stuff. <laughs> what fan fiction were you writing? <laughs> This is going to ruin any sort of burgeoning friendship we might have. <laughs> I mean, that entirely depends on the, uh, so I guess I was, the content of the fan fiction. <laughs> it was nothing too weird. Okay. So I was writing when I was like sort of maybe 13 or 14. And I used to do <laughs> a lot of like good Charlotte fan fiction. <laughs> good sh- I've never even heard of someone doing band fan fiction. Well, there you go. That's incredible. Pioneer. <laughs> How? I thought at the time, I thought it was really cool, but looking back, it wasn't like. I don't know. I mean, like, <laughs> there's a zine about Good Charlotte and their outside lives in a fan fiction format. I may buy that. <laughs> I will not be the person to make that. I've moved on since then. <laughs> I'm adding it to the project list. Um, <laughs> pop punk fanzines. <laughs> uh, I, I reckon there's a big market for it like um people in their late 20s early 30s who are still just really into sort of naughty pop punk i mean my friend sean is um 
he's still very pop punk and his favorite band is newfound glory to the point of having newfound glory tattoos recently recently as in yeah as in the last few years he had a, the lyrics from newfound glory tattooed on him and buys all of their lps as like like vinyls and everything oh, wow. like that. there is definitely a market for like old generation pop punk just sitting there waiting to be tapped yeah that's sure if they did like um like a pop punk tour but only let people in who were like in their late 20s or you have older. To be a millennial <laughs> that would be incredible <laughs> i'd love it Anyway, we've gotten a sidetrack. <laughs> Your origins in writing. <laughs> yeah, so I moved on from fan fiction. Right. <laughs> and um, yeah, I've I've always sort of messed around with short stories in my spare time and stuff mm. like that. Um, it was probably after I finished uni, um, where I had a bit more spare time on my hands, mm. that I started writing more fiction and and wanted to sort of try and get it published if possible, which seemed like such a um, unreachable goal at that point. And at that point, like my writing really wasn't good. It yeah. was because I, I think you have to sort of go through that phase of writing really, really terrible stuff and and sort of refining it just through tra- trial and error. So eventually, I think the quality started getting a little bit better got a few publications and um but while I was sort of sending stuff out to to lit mags and hoping that someone would pick it up I started feeling like I was putting all this work into stories and then just sort of putting it in someone else's hands and I thought well why am I doing that when I feel like I could just start my own magazine and and have a bit more control over it. So that's when I started the idling as like a print scene and just sort of wrote a short story for it, begged some friends to write some as well and put out issue number one. And um, yeah, I just sort of got into publishing from there and just really liked it. I find publishing is like, it's such a strange, I don't know, kind of, it's like a term which people use a lot, but it's one of those things of what you classify publishing as person to person varies. Like self-publishing seems to have this kind of weird moniker around it compared to like, you know, agency publishing, or if you're publishing just like through zines, or if you're publishing self-publishing, but through something like um, Amazon's KDP or, or anything mm-hmm. like that, that it becomes like an almost umbrella term for just anything yeah. different. I think a lot of people still just only see it as traditional publishing. Yeah. Like, you know, where you go the route of getting an agent and then they sell it to like one of the big publishing houses. That's definitely the most respectable way of doing it through a lot of people's eyes. But for me, I think like, especially nowadays, I think self-publishing is so much more accessible and mm why why not I mean if if you've written a book and and you want to get it out in into the world and you know a little bit about marketing and and how to do all that kind of stuff why not just do it yourself I think that's where artists struggle is no one knows anything about marketing yeah (laughs) we're all willing to learn a lot of things we'll learn you know techniques we'll learn you know 
how to write perfectly and how to format. We'll, we'll go through all of that, but none of us sit down and go, yeah, so if I s- study marketing and how to sell things. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm trying to just learn as I go. I think I've gotten a little bit better than I was when I first started Idolink. Yeah. Like I just didn't know how to, I had all these stories that people had um that I'd published by other writers but I didn't know how to like get an audience for it yeah but I think now I've gotten a little bit better at social media as much as I hate social media sometimes it's it's just sort of a learning as you go kind of thing yeah I mean so when you write are you more I guess because I've had writers on before who have written from a product point of view essentially you know from a I'm going to write a book and I'm going to sell this book So is that kind of how you follow or is it just more along the lines of, I want to write something for me and then I might sell it down the line? Yeah, I'd say the latter. Mm. Um, I mean, I can't speak for anyone else, but for me, if I'm thinking about it as a product, it it just sort of takes something away from it. Like if if I just think of it as I want to write a cool story, a story that I love and I think is awesome, then that's going to sell surely once I learn how to market it. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I just think it takes some of the magic away if you're thinking of it as a product. Yeah. I think there's also like with the, with the saying about marketing, we end up in a very rock and a hard place situation being creatives in that you like any person who is creative kind of picks up an idea and thinks, all right, I'm going to do this and it's going to be a unique idea. And I don't think, you know, I think it's going to be cool and all that. And then, then you're like, who would want to read this other than me? (laughs) Also, how do I find those people? Because me as a person, I'm quite introverted. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. I always have these sort of big ideas about how I'm going to market stories and stuff and be like, but hang on. I'm not an extroverted person. <laughs> How do I achieve that? <laughs> I think that's, it's, it's not, I don't know. I want to call it the biggest scam in the world, but it's not. It's like, it's someone utilizing their skills to help you with their skills. It's just like having agents is just extroverted people monopolizing introverted people. <laughs> yeah. The, the introverts are the products. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, if you're an extrovert, find yourself an introvert. You can probably make money off them. <laughs> Everyone buddy up. <laughs> That's how you make friends as an adult. You, 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 you know, you don't try to make friends. You get an extroverted person who comes along and just claims you into their friend group. Yeah. Oh God, that's so true. <laughs> also, it, it sounds terrifying when you say it like that, but it also when I think of friends I've made in the last 10 years, it's exactly like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just go up to the loud one and sort of latch on for dear life you think you need to go to i think if i'm thinking of friends i'm one of my close friends charlotte literally forced her way into my life like we met once oh. she's the friend of oh no she's the, the partner of my other friend brett we met once on a night out and then weeks later she was like do you want to go for coffee we should go for coffee let's let's do that and then from then on has just been part of my life <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's a good way to do it, I suppose. But a lot of people do sort of 
they find it really difficult to make friends as adults especially like over the last couple of years where we've all been locked down and like it's not so much about making new friends recently it's about just retaining the ones that you have yeah I think a lot of people struggle with that do you ever get that thing when you you're kind of writing and publishing of finding um kind of non-biased feedback of trying to release and then handing it to friends and worrying about the fact that they are friends so they may not you know give you what you want yeah it is a worry I mean I'm quite stupid in this respect where I don't really um I, I don't really hand off my stuff to other people and, and ask for feedback right because of that worry um I can't think of anyone that I could that I could ask to read something who wouldn't be biased and who wouldn't just say, oh yeah, it's great when it could be terrible. (laughs) So I just, I mean, I haven't, I'm working on sort of um, like a longer, like a collection of stories at the moment. So hopefully if that ever gets put out there, that'll be a new sort of thing. But at the moment I've only sort of published short stories. So Mm. I just sort of let, these magazines publish them and sort of rely on readers to tell me if they like it or not but I don't know everyone's everyone's biased no one's gonna seek you out and be like yeah I really didn't like this so (laughs) I'm only hearing back from the people who actually do enjoy it so that's handy I feel like at times I ought I I seek out negative reinforcement at times in terms so you of, look for people to tell you that it's yeah. terrible. I want someone to <laughs> confirm that it's bad because in my head I'm just like, this is awful, but I'm still going to release it anyway because fuck people. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, why not? <laughs> and I, I, I think I did a podcast previously where I was talking about um, finding a hostile audience. That every so often you should throw work into a hostile audience because as much as they're going to tear it to pieces, if they accommodate in such a way, they're going to essentially show you all the bits of your work which you haven't thought about all the bits which mm. you know are noticeable to like a complete stranger who is in a negative space and is into negative feedback and you're going to get that back and yes it'll hurt but it also allows you to look at it and go okay well was it about the thing which they've pointed out you know if they torn apart the grammar was it about that or was it about something else because if it's just the grammar i can fix the grammar if it's the character's then okay maybe I need to rethink characters or maybe I just need to go with that and that's the whole mm. point is that some people are not going to like these characters some people are not going to like the story yeah you can't write something that's going to be universally loved unfortunately but I, I think, think it is to. helpful to to get that back yeah. um like I say I don't really give my work to many people before it gets published but I did um I wrote a novella a few years ago that I was trying to get published and I thought it was strong. (laughs) So I sent it to um, this editor that, um, similar to you, I kind of know tangentially, never met in person. So I sent it to him to, to see what he thought. And he's the nicest guy in the world. And he sent me a really long email about why it didn't work and and what was great about it but what was terrible and I think that was to me it was really useful to actually see a really detailed breakdown 
mm-hmm. of what I had done that didn't work and essentially what made it unpublishable. Yeah. So whilst that book was just a bit of a write-off, um, I still think about his critiques now when I'm writing and I think I'll, I'll pro- I do take it forward into the work that I do now. So, I mean, while, while compliments are nice, like they're, they're not as helpful <laughs> when it comes to future writing, I think. Yeah, I think that's definitely, I think compliments carry kind of like a double-edged um, like damage to them. And a friend of mine recently, she does a lot of um, craft stalls and kept getting people coming along and going, oh, these are really clever. And then not buying anything. <laughs> it's like, yeah, no, you're really clever. These are really smart. So she made a little sign, which she basically says that calling me clever doesn't pay the bills. <laughs> and I think a lot of independent creatives do get to that point of there's only so much like, you know, you can get a thousand likes online. It's like, that's great. But if a thousand people don't buy my book, then, you know, this means nothing. You know, the exposure isn't worth the effort I've put in to get it out there. Yeah. First place. And this is sort of the the weird double-edged sword with Twitter as well, which pretty much every writer is on Twitter at this point. It's where we hang out. But I find that if I've got, if I post something like, oh, I've just had an acceptance from this magazine, get like tons of likes on it loads of interest then the story comes out and I'm like here it is guys do you want to read it yep crickets <laughs> it's it's such a strange I don't know like I tried to compare it to any other thing in life of when you're creating things people are really invested really mm-hmm. interested in what's going on it's like if you were baking a cake you know, you like live streaming the cake. Everyone's like, oh yeah, this is great. You know, keep going. You're doing really well. And then by the time you've made it, everyone's like, yeah, I don't really want cake. Um, yeah. <laughs> you just watch it, me. It's a little bit of, it's a bit deflating sometimes. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I sometimes think as well, it's because um, with writing, like with books, it, it's a bit of an investment to sit down and read a book or even a short story like readers like people who love reading that they they'll just read anything they love it but I mean like the general population they wouldn't I'd say most of the general population wouldn't really seek out a short story or or something like that so with artists or filmmakers like everyone will look at that sort of thing and appreciate it and sort of pay them compliments about it. But with, with the, with writing, it's a bit more of an investment. Yeah. I feel Everyone's like it's got a short attention span. <laughs> in that theory, short stories should be everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> it depends how short they are. Some of them push it a bit. That's what TikTok's all about, right? Like it's just oh. about shorts. Like, Maybe that's this. This is where the where writers should be. They should get off Twitter, move over to TikTok, and just start dominating TikTok. Have you ever been on TikTok? Because I haven't. I have been on it two years ago. I think I signed up for TikTok because I had an idea, and I was like, "This would be funny," and nobody liked it. Um, <laughs> essentially, I have a, a stuffed toy duck, and I was like, "I just want to make something which goes against the grain of everything, which is TikTok." which is how I make most of my work is I find something people like and I do the opposite of it. Um, 
but I have this duck and I was like, oh, well, if I just did stories about this duck, where it's literally just me quite clearly moving around a toy duck. And I was like, that'd be brilliant. But of course, TikTok's filled with a bunch of like jaded teenagers. Yeah. Like, this is just dumb. And this is some like old man. But there's like a weird like layering to TikTok, which I think Twitter has as well, which is mm. if you don't curate your feed, you get whatever TikTok suggests. And I see. On TikTok, because it's marketed at tweens and teens, what you get is a lot of like over sexualized teenagers because oh they're gosh. all like miming along to songs and, you know, dressing how they want to dress. But because they're trying to atta- attract like other teenagers who are like teenage girls and teenage boys, it's like, oh, well, how do yeah. we do that? What do we do? We just throw mildly attractive teens at them. Whereas as an adult, that's you go onto it and you're like, feeling. oh, yeah. I don't feel like I should be on this platform. <laughs> no. And you you have to kind of get past that layer and quickly find things you're actually interested in to remove it from everywhere. <laughs> I don't know. It it seems a bit sinister to me, if I'm honest. Like, but I've I've never ventured onto it. Like I've mm. seen TikTok videos because they get reposted everywhere, but I I wouldn't like to sign up to the app. Seems a bit I don't know. I think ominous. social media and creative stuff is actually a really kind of an interesting one. Um, like I recently um, put a post up on Facebook because I, I, I posted about five or six things to a Facebook page in maybe the last month. And I went and checked my analytics of it and was like, cool, nobody has seen these posts. <laughs> like literally nobody, not even like one or two. It was like no engagement, no clicks, no, no scenes. And I was like, yeah, been so- there what's the point in having a Facebook page because I have like a thousand or so people on it. I was like, how is that even possible? And it's because they're all like reposts from Instagram. And obviously Facebook goes, Oh, well you've, you've put a linked post, which you haven't directly gone to Facebook for. Therefore we'll hide it under things which have people have actually gone to Facebook for, because that's how the algorithm works. You have to go and make posts within Facebook to actually get the kind of footing. And I was like, well, I'm just going to delete Facebook then. Yeah. Because that's not worth my time investment. And I think each platform has like a weird learning curve of what you can and can't do with it. Mm. And the same with kind of Twitter. It's like, you know, at least Twitter doesn't hide everything. It's just such a barrage of things that it's hard to yeah. kind of get noticed. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it took me a while to get my footing on Twitter. Mm. Um, I think when you first sign up to it, it's very sort of, it's a lot yeah. to to know how to navigate it. I feel like I I kind of understand it a bit more now, but I, it's so annoying because I, I really rely on Twitter to like promote my own work and to promote Idle Inc. Like yeah. I'd say 60% of it all comes from Twitter. But at the same time, I just hate it. Like <laughs> It's just... Oh, but I feel really uncomfortable with self-promotion anyway. Yeah, yeah. Even though yeah, I have completely. to do it. Yeah. And there's days where I just look at my Twitter feed and I'm like, this is just self-promotion post after self-promotion post. And I just, it gets tiring sometimes, yeah. but I rely on it. I, don't, I, I often think um, kind of, if I'd been born maybe, I don't know, 
10, 15 years earlier of how I would have gone about promoting myself without the internet. Like, and, and how would you have though? This is the thing. I, I, in a way, like I, I was watching a few kind of documentaries and stuff about um, kind of old punk stuff and and how bands used to get people to go to their shows. And it's like, well, you did, you did flyering, you know, mm. you go out in the street. And I'm like, I don't feel like I could have stood in the street with flyers <laughs> and been like, oh, hey, do you want my zine about a potato? Um, <laughs> <laughs> like buy it from me? Like where? I don't know. Here? Maybe Here. just give me cash. <laughs> I'll give you this book. <laughs> I mean, if you did that now, like you would get a very wide berth from most people. But if you did it back then, mm. maybe it would have been a bit more normal. Were people more receptive to being approached with random publications in the street? In I don't 80s? know. I think if I was sort of born 10, 15 years earlier, I'd probably still be doing zine fairs yeah. rather than doing everything online. But I think you can only go so far with that stuff. Do you get involved with like, I mean, obviously we've mentioned zine fairs. Do you get involved with kind of like book fairs and and things like that? Or do you stick to those kind of more independent ones? like? Um, So I used to go to a lot of zine events Hmm. like a few years back. I don't really go to them anymore. So certainly not now with COVID and everything. Um, Pretty much everything I do is online which um, it is good because you can reach so many more people and like people from different countries and stuff. Mm -hmm. I would like to do more in-person stuff like book fairs and things like that. But certainly at the moment, like it's just not doable. They're not happening. (laughs) I think, yeah, I I mean, I think, I mean, uh, weirdly today, I'm actually doing a zine fair right now. Like, being sat, being sat home, I'm part of like an online zine fair, which oh, that's cool. I'm doing. And I was like, this is kind of like a nice little balance if I'm coming to speak to someone about publishing and, and, and zines. <laughs> all this. But I'm actually, I'm, I'm a weirdly in a zine fair, but I just don't actually have to do anything with it. So it's a lot so more. So how does that work? So it's, um, I'll give it some promotion. So it's Hackney Zine and Comic Fair. Oh yeah, I know. Which they've done physical ones before, but this year they were like, "No, we'll do scenes." So essentially, the uh, the founder has, has put up different halls on the website, and then in each like section, there's just like a mass of artist tiles, and then those artist tiles just lead to your shop. And huh. you know, there's a lot of promotion and like cross promotion going on with it, and they're like publishing those things. And I'm published like um, one of my like my debut ones this at this event so it gets a bit of like cross promotion and review review there and it's just it's such a strange situation to be in knowing that Mm. i've been to zine fairs and i've been to how you know draining they are at Mm. times to travel all the way there with all your gear and then potentially not even sell anything or Mm. get any interest i mean mine's weird anyway because i just give stuff away but my business model makes no sense <laughs> um, but yeah it's just like that theory of like yeah you know you're gonna do all that whereas like today this runs for like a week or two and that's such a good idea no effort is involved like but i i, th- I don't know i don't know if you feel this way but i feel like the zine community is quite strange because it's so you could just leave it at that like yes i agree <laughs> it's just it's just i don't know i, I don't I think, like, obviously, you from, like, a writing point of view, writers have their, like, how writers work. You know, you have yeah. 
like how they get involved in things, writing advice, things like Twitter is, is big with writers. Visual artists have Instagram. That's where we live. You know, we dominate those kinds of things. And then you have like Reddit, which is like a mix of everything and whatever you do, as long as it's kind of impressive, gets like a, a, a yeah. tick, with, tick with Reddit. But <laughs> you get like zines, it's just like everybody's coming at this from a different angle and nobody knows how to organize any of this. <laughs> That's what I really loved about it though. Like yeah. I'm, I'm not really involved in print zines anymore, but when I was like, I love the idea that you could just go along to a zine fair, like not as someone with a table, just you could go along as an attendee yeah. and you could find like, stuff the sort of stuff I did like short story collections or you could find like fanzines which was just like weird fan fiction about the smallest sort of niche subjects and you you should just find everything there and I thought this is weird I really like it (laughs) I'm curious like what is the strangest thing you found as info oh god um or what the favorite, what your favorite thing is, perhaps? Or are they the same thing? Probably are the same thing. I know there was, I can't remember what zine fair it was, but I've still got a zine somewhere where it's like a deep dive into Jurassic Park and right. like all of the themes in the film. And like, it was actually really interesting. Um, so stuff like that I find really cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you can just find anything at a zine fair. It's amazing. I think I have a couple which come to mind. Like one of my favorite zines I ever bought is just called Flats in Hats. <laughs> and it's tower block flats, which someone's photoshopped hats onto. And it's tiny. It's like this big. It cost me 50 pence. And it's the best thing I've ever read. <laughs> <laughs> I literally don't know what to make of that. <laughs> I didn't. I just looked at it. I was like, Flats in Hats. It makes perfect sense. And these flats look pretty good in hats. So take Power a look. Power to it. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was at the same event as well. Like you, I found a fanzine, which was all about Police Academy and nice. that series of films. And yeah. I, I bought it and it's just, it literally just an essay, like a, like five or six pages about Police Academy. It doesn't even go into themes. It's just describing what's in Police Academy. Oh, just like a breakdown of the yeah, plot. Yeah, it's just like, here's the plot of every <laughs> Police Academy film. And I was like, okay. That's so weird. <laughs> Someone took the time to do this. <laughs> I think it reminds, like, zines remind me of the internet, like, just after the year 2000. Yeah, early days. Yeah. Like, when it was, like, a few blogs, and mm. no one knew what to do with all of the space. Well, I remember... Um... Like in the early noughties, you used to get those websites, which were really popular, where you could like basically just build your own little website in like five minutes. So there was like X pages and Pixo was another one. And you could just like fill it up with whatever content you wanted. And I just like, it's obviously it was very of its time, but I do just miss the innocence of the early internet days in a way i don't know why that stuff kind of died out like to some extent like because i like i i regret well i I say regret i couldn't do anything about it like i couldn't really get into that because i was quite young at the time like post 2000 i was maybe like 12 or 13 
in, in that time yeah. frame. So I didn't really have access to the internet. And I think I remember like, like you say, like those pages, like angel fire was a big one, mm. which was just like a blog post. And most of it was just like weird niche essays about like, like fandom wikis now, I guess yeah. is the closest thing to it. But all of that just kind of stopped happening. And I don't know why. Yeah, I think, I mean, my theory is because nowadays there's so many people on the internet. Mm. Like if you put up any sort of content, it's immediately going to get criticised, mm. um, no matter what platform you put it on. Whereas in, back in the early days, you could just like, I think I had a blog for a while and I was just like, it wasn't anything too deep. It was just like how my day had been and stuff like that. But I didn't get any criticism for it, probably because no one was reading it because the internet wasn't as full as it is now. So I think we didn't have that kind of fear of um, of instant, instant negativity. Yeah. <laughs> Everything's very polished online nowadays. I guess so nowadays I as well. Like if you started something, your first thought would be, how do I get this to people again? Yeah. Or how do I monetize it? Yeah. How do I monetize it? And I I think that's why kind of when I started doing null point, I just wanted something which had no monetization thought to it. It was just like, they they were free, weren't they? They're still free. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's crazy. Four or five years. And I just still give them away for free. And I still have to explain to people at events why it's free. (laughs) People are so scared of free stuff. Do they think that they're sort of entering into some sort of contract? They do. It's it's such a strange (laughs) thing. Like they're like, I think I literally. I mean, I even yeah now like so I sell them via Etsy and like my own site for the cost of postage. Like yeah, that's as much as I can charge. It's like here's the cost of postage. That's fine. And I had someone email me um, because they wanted some from to the US, and they were like, "I've done the math, and you're losing money on this." I was like, excuse me, <laughs> like, you're losing money on this. If I, if you charge the amount you're charging, I need to be able to pay you more. I'm not paying you at a loss. I'm okay with free, but I'm not going to cost you money. And I mean, that is a good point. They're clearly an ethical person. Clearly, but I was at the same time, I was just like, well, okay. I don't really know how to respond to you because part of the concept <laughs> is that it costs me money. And that's fine. That's, that's the burden I take on by doing it kind of thing because i'm in a position where i can do this mm. but it's so strange to just outwardly tell someone they can't give something away at a loss to themselves <laughs> how dare you give things away yeah it's like you're just out there trying to do this sort of fun quirky zine and then yeah. all of a sudden you've got an accountant who's would, criticizing you would it have been better if i'd like overcharged them like <laughs> would you have written to me like you can't charge five pounds for this scene it's it's not worth it <laughs> did he take the zine in the end yes so they took it in the end um essentially because i i broke i actually just did a price breakdown for them i was just like (laughs) so i factor in the cost of the zine and the cost of postage into the price of the zine so i actually don't lose anything though i do lose something i just left that part out in the end i just yeah just just because the amount you ordered and shipping costs what shopping shipping costs but it's just so strange having to literally kind of comfort someone in the idea is like (laughs) if you're not costing me this any money i've I've thought about this (laughs) well i mean everything's monetized nowadays so i can see where where the concern came from like even things that seem like they're free nowadays they aren't 
like everything's embedded with advertising and and stuff like that and obviously null point is the opposite (laughs) and kind of pokes fun at that a little bit so I can see how that maybe put someone on the back foot a bit (laughs) I do recall the review you gave me for the zine being quite positive and like about that idea of like you know this isn't you know not about you sort of thing and and that it's free Mm -hmm. and all this and I submitted it to another reviewer for quite like a big zine publication and they did not like the fact that I was essentially kind of poking fun really yeah it was it was quite a strange thing and I think it's maybe because of the topic that I that that issue was they didn't agree with the topic necessarily because it was about pornography um and it was it was half tongue-in-cheek but half serious as well because that's how it normally ends up whatever people send in is what I can publish you know I can't can't control that and they felt that I was you know making light of it by saying you know you may love it or hate it and it's like no you, you essentially you've gone at this like from a real critical mindset of I'm clearly trying to exploit someone because it's free and taking other people's work like you just it is created this strange like feedback loop within creative yeah. communities that it's such a strange take as well when you can when you think about what zines are at their core like it's all about the sort of do-it-yourself movement mm. do it for as cheap as possible charge as little as you can it it's always just been about getting ideas out there and not about making money so for them to have that sort of take is a bit strange I'll never never really understand it <laughs> as it were um, I mean yeah. like tell us a bit more about Idolink I'm curious well, um, I, know, I know a bit about Idolink but tell us more so about- Idolink as as I've said it started off life as a print scene mm-hmm. I only did two issues in print and then I moved it online um so nowadays um it's uh, it's a website where we publish like, short, short stories, flash fiction, poetry. We do a few essays as well, but we don't get many submitted. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to get more sort of nonfiction stuff, but it's a bit hard going getting like sort of um, finding those submissions. And uh, yeah, um, it's actually publication day today. Um, stuff comes out on the first Saturday of each month. So I think we've had 10 short stories and poems come out like a couple of hours ago and um yeah it's extremely busy (laughs) it's sort of consuming my life at this point (laughs) but I'm one I'm one of those people who's a bit of a control freak and I'm now at the point where if I was intelligent I would take on some other people to help me read submissions but I'm not doing that because (laughs) I keep telling myself I can do it all myself. <laughs> I mean, yeah, no, I can appreciate that sentiment. <laughs> yeah. I was like, yeah, you need help. No, no, I don't need help when I come to these things. Yeah, I can do it all. Exactly. Yeah. It's the millennial way of thinking. <laughs> I don't need help. <laughs> Who needs that? But um, actually saying that, I did used to, so we do reviews as well, of mm. like um, mostly independently published books and I used to do them myself um but it got to the point where I was like I just don't have time to to read all these books for review come up with a really thoughtful review and still run the website and do my own writing as well Mm -hmm. 
So I have brought on um, like an outside group to help me with that called the Todmorden Writers Collective. So that's been quite helpful. Um, yeah. So I've loosened the control freak reins a little bit with that. And they've each review they come out with is, is good and thoughtful and stuff. So I trust them now. <laughs> I think that's, I, I don't know if that's quite unique or it's unique to me of getting a group of people in to review um, rather than just kind of like being an individual's take. Of like, yeah, and I am. It, it is a bit odd. Um, I think it's a good thing. It's not yeah. something I was looking for, really. I was just looking for one person to do book reviews. Um, so I think I um, I advertised it, advertised for it online. Mm-hmm. And they were one of the people that responded. And they, they had a bit of a pitch, really. They, they said, look, we're a group. We'd like to read them as like a book group and come up with a review together. So you've got like different opinions in the same review. Yeah. I thought, wow, I had never considered that, but that is really cool. <laughs> That'd be I, I I mean, I I feel like that's the kind of thing I'd I'd watch. Like if that was like a YouTube thing of mm. a group of people running a book club, but it's all independent stuff. Like, oh, this week yeah. we're looking at this and then like chatting about it. That'd be interesting. It would be interesting. I mean, I think you guys reviewed um, my book, Potatrophy. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. they did. Uh, That was the second or third book they did for me, I think. Yeah. Um, It's nice to have that multiple viewpoints, I think. Especially as we were saying earlier on, it's just like kind of getting that conflict of opinions and getting that, you know, what people do like about it, what people don't like about it is really useful. Absolutely. And I think with with books and stories, like it's so subjective, like just yeah. because one person doesn't like a book doesn't mean it's terrible. Um, it just means it's not for them. So I think it with having a group of them doing the reviews, um, I think it gives a more more honest picture of a book. Yeah. Bigger sample size. Bigger sample size, bigger audience, different backgrounds, different views. Yeah, exactly. It helps escape that little echo chamber yeah and it's helpful for me as well to to have someone else on board and sort of ease the workload a bit <laughs> yes I mean having been through it I think I, it, it's it's a lot <laughs> it's I think because I obviously knew it in zine format like and I know how, how much that effort that can take to do yeah. what you do and what it's become is impressive yeah, yeah. You look at it, yeah, this is a lot. This is cool. I like this. It's a different type of effort. Like, in a way, I kind of miss when it was a zine and I would just spend evenings stapling. (laughs) And and just, it it feels special to have something to hold in your hands, like an end product. But I guess nowadays, it's a different kind of effort. I'm maybe a bit weird in that I do like just sort of formatting the website and getting all the stories looking nice and I had a thought uh, a few months back where I thought well what if I did like little promo images that with like pull quotes and stuff so I started doing that and then I was like wow this is taking a really long time (laughs) (laughs) but I just once the ball is rolling you can't stop it so yeah I do that as well (laughs) I think it's it's strange to think I mean like it's a it's a long-term project you know that you take on and yeah. I think 
I, I often say that most projects have a five-year limit in terms of they can't stay the same for five years. Everything has right. to evolve or change or stop one way or another. And a lot of independent projects do just stop. You know, two, two three years in, a lot will go, this is too much, we've gotten too big or we're too small yeah. or nobody cares, so we'll just stop. And I think even though personally I, I don't tend to advertise and I don't tend to kind of promote myself, I think by just having persistency and altering the format, you know, every year or so, you can have a much longer term plan yeah and not burn out even though it is a lot you know even though it's a different strain it's like adding little bits like like with that it's like yeah okay this year we're gonna add these in and these will be a thing for a little while until you get to a point where you're like oh i can hand this off to new intern they they can deal (laughs) with all all these things yeah i think you you've got to kind of reinvent a little bit Mm. um if you want it to be long term like you say, if if you've got five years of doing the same sort of thing and you haven't evolved or anything, like people are going to lose interest. Yeah. So I like where Rydalink is now. I'm really happy with it. I don't want it to stay in this format forever. Like I do have plans for the future and stuff, but um, yeah, it's just about finding the time to to make and it evolve. I think I don't know. As a thing as well, I think you kind of have to get it to a point where it's kind of low maintenance around everything yes. else. It needs to become kind of secondary to whatever you're doing in your life. You know, like like yourself, you know, you write. So if you've got time to write, everything else needs to be to a point where you can just like, all right, cool, that's a few clicks and then it's done for the day, you know. Yeah. I wish I could get to that point. That's a goal for me. Like at the moment, if if there's a if there's a choice between Idle Ink and my own writing, yeah. Idle Ink always wins. Like, I think it's because um, because my own writing is just my own thing. So if I don't get it done or if I don't hit the targets I want, then yeah. that's on me. But with Idle Ink, because there's other writers involved and I'm kind of, I don't want to let them down. So I think, well... Let me just work a little bit longer on this. Yeah. Another hour won't hurt. <laughs> you put that level of responsibility on yourself. To it's all self-inflicted. So, sadly, it isn't self-publishing. I think. I think for the amount of people who I speak to who do self-publish or self-promote in one way or another, you you take a. I, I think in a way that's what we don't tell people about early enough when mm-hmm. they get into these things is you you know, you take it on, even if you're not doing it from kind of like a business point of view and you just like the idea of it, is at some point you're going to make a sacrifice between your time and the thing you're doing. And if you're not willing to make that sacrifice, then it'll stop. It'll just stop like straight away. Well, I think with creative projects, you kind of, you get into it not fully appreciating how much work it's going to be. And I don't think that's a bad thing because if I had realized how much work running an online magazine would be, I don't want to say I wouldn't have done it, but I would have had some second thoughts. (laughs) So I think you've got to be a little bit naive to, to actually get the ball rolling with stuff. Otherwise we wouldn't ever do anything. There's a, it's not, um, I can't think of whether it's sadism or masochism. 
of just punishing yourself yeah Yeah. there's a level of masochism which comes in with creativity yeah and accepting you know even even when you kind of speak to people and they ask you how how things are going or how 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 like work is doing or how you're working it's it's like it's going terrible but that's good (laughs) like that's that's the point you know it's going to be it's going to be a struggle i'm learning lots of things through the struggle yeah and we'll get it to a point where it works absolutely if there was no struggle like it wouldn't be worth doing it would be boring (laughs) exactly if it was easy what's the point yeah exactly just don't make everything about it being hard no i don't think you should go into things with the goal of struggling (laughs) but um, that's how i start most projects (laughs) (laughs) that's my business model go in and be like this this is easy i can make this harder just a whiteboard with the word struggle on it and just I, figure everything else out. <laughs> I had a, um, I was having lunch with a friend of mine recently who'd seen an installation piece I'd done. He was like, it was the most you thing you've ever done because you essentially made something, people liked it, and then you destroyed it. Because you were like, people really <laughs> like this. I should probably just burn this, right? Yeah. And then we'll make something else people like out of what I was nice. like. That's, that's you all over. So. I mean, it's quite punk, really, like to to make something people enjoy and then just be like yeah well I'm gonna smash it <laughs> I'm very uh, it's I mean as a kind of like a round out I'm very conflicted with punk at the minute right as a term how so because of the recent um Sex Pistols lawsuits which they've been doing so I've heard about this okay so the two members of the Sex Pistols I think two members or surviving members of the I think there's three left is there I can't quite remember I think there's two, but I might be wrong. Either way, part of the Sex Pistols, not Johnny Ron, um, were have made a TV show about Sex Pistols, and they want to use the tracks within the TV show. Mm-hmm. Of course, they've all fallen out over the years. Um, so Johnny Ron was like, no, you're not using the songs without my permission. So he sued them. Oh, God. Which meant the Sex Pistols were going to court. And about royalties and money and usage. That's not very licensing. <laughs> he lost as well, so it's still going to still going to be happening in the yeah. TV show. Um, and then I was on Twitter, and um, MC Lars, who's a indie nerdcore rapper, made a song ages ago called "Hot Topic Is Not Punk Rock," which is just a list. I know that song. <laughs> yeah, it's just a list of kind of products which are not punk rock, and he was going on about like. Um, uh, anti-vax is not punk rock and like starting kind of thing. I was like, there's these weird like little segments of what people think punk rock is and it's thrown us around as a term compared to actions which are actually kind of punk rock. Yeah. And because I'd viewed both those things, I got advertised socks by Instagram, <laughs> which had the Sex Pistols Queen logo on them. Oh God. From some <laughs> random company and they were like $13.99 for a pair of socks. And someone had gone in and like, yeah, punk's not dead. And I'm like, no, this is the death of punk. This is, <laughs> this is what I mean as well when I say that the internet is very sinister. <laughs> it's, it's just one of those terms where I think, I think it's rife to be reclaimed in a way, but it's never been let go of either because like zine communities and obviously riot girl zines and everything which kind of comes along with those is still very punk. It's still very activist. But as a term in the meat, like the mainstream now, punks, it's just like associated with greedy old punk bands. <laughs> yeah, I, I think 
punk can still exist yeah. nowadays, but it's maybe in a different form. Um, people can still rage against the machine, but the machine has changed, I suppose. <laughs> That's the new rage against the machine. Now. <laughs> <laughs> Just we rage against the machine. It's just slightly different these days. <laughs> yeah. it's, a, it's almost like a very British punk album. Yeah. It's like rage against the machine. Parentheses. <laughs> yeah. Parentheses. But it's you know, don't be rude about it. <laughs> <laughs> I would listen to that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's just one of those things where I think terminology-wise, is it conceptually I've been thinking about a lot. And, and how writers kind of approach things and, and what yeah. we consider revolutionary these days, because obviously we are in an age of information um, and, and content and media. And like, like we were saying, you know, the things you write for yourself, the things you want to write. And that's how I feel that should be Yeah, um, from my point of view. And when you meet people who are more along the lines of, Oh no, it's much more about the aesthetic and, you know, the audience yeah. like, hmm. I mean in a way it's it's interesting that people take such different um approaches to writing mm-hmm. even though I don't understand all of those <laughs> approaches but I'm glad that they're able to to sort of do what they want but yeah I, I don't understand the sort of the view of this is a product so I better hit these points so that I can sell it yeah, I think as, as a like a nice tagline for this. I think self-publishing is still pretty punk rock. I think. I hope so. There's a level of, as we said, there's a level of masochism which comes with self-publishing, which has to make it punk rock. No one would put themselves through it just from a capitalist point of view. Yeah. Because what would I be s- the point? <laughs> yeah, I I suppose it's still yeah. I mean, it's punk rock in the way that. Um, a lot of people still look down on it, <laughs> but but we keep doing it anyway. <laughs> as long as there's enough of society looking at it and going, hmm, no, I don't like that, then it's punk rock. <laughs> yeah, that should be the criteria for, for something being punk. Yes, <laughs> I like it. I think that's a good point to round this out. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> if we have done anything today, it is establish what is punk rock. <laughs> You're welcome. Two millennials <laughs> in their bedrooms <laughs> <laughs> on the internet. We yeah. said this. We determined it. We and then, of course, it. the most punk rock <laughs> thing to do would be to go in the opposite direction of whatever we said. <laughs> as soon as we labelled it, and don't spend thirteen pound on socks. Thirteen pound. They were thirteen pound. Not punk rock. Punk rock socks. <laughs> it was only available online. So you couldn't even go steal. Oh, so, ridiculous. <laughs> what can you do in this day and age where you can't commit shoplifting to be punk rock? Oh, that is depressing. <laughs> That's a sad time. But thank you for coming on. Joining it's all right. For Thanks chat. for having me. It's been lovely. Uh, where can people find you? Or, the, or is it just Adeline? Um, so they can find me on Twitter. Um, they can find me and Adeline on Twitter. Um, if you search for it, either will come up. Um, Idolink's website is idolink.org, pretty easy to remember. And if you want to find my short stories, it's just jlcorbett.org. So, yeah, nice that's so. where people can find me. Oh, I'm rocking the dog suffix, I like. 
Yeah, it was the cheapest one. <laughs> it turned to be the cheapest one, yeah. which I, I find quite strange because I quite like I'm, it. I'm not paying extra for dot yeah. com. I, I mean, I still I'm old enough to remember when dot com was just US. Like, yeah, that was you knew where the, the website was from because it was yeah. a dot com. I don't know when that changed, but they just yeah, the I US, they just that. bought everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's usually what they do. Um, yeah. But on that note, we will say goodbye and uh, talk to these guys later. Bye. Yeah.